And it is a privilege tonight to not only introduce my friend, but he is now the newly elected Assistant General Superintendent of the United Pentecostal Church. He's a man that loves the Lord. He's an apostolic revivalist, and he and his wife are very dear friends of mine and Mickey's. And I love Randy Keyes. He loves truth, and he wants to get it all the way around the world. Would you welcome Brother Randy Keyes? Let's give the Lord a great praise. Praise God. Praise God. Hallelujah, Jesus. Amen. My. It wouldn't have offended me at all if we'd have just went ahead having church tonight. But now that I'm here, I'll try to fulfill the assignment. Let me quickly say thank you to the Pentecostals of Alexandria for hosting this tremendous, wonderful conference. And I just want to say to all of you, whether you're in here tonight or you will hear this via tape later on, I want to say to all of those who sacrifice and who give and work and labor to make this come about, we do appreciate it. We deeply appreciate it. This doesn't just happen by waving a wand. Or this doesn't happen without hands. A whole lot of hands involved in making this come to pass. And we do thank you. Thank you to the great choir for coming to Modesto. Not all of you got to make the trip, but a bunch of you did, and we had, they were just as wild in Modesto as they are here in Alexandria. We had church. We had church. Thank you, Elder G.A. Mangan and Sister Vesta Mangan for coming to uh, Modesto Revival Center two years consecutively to our Stewardship Missions Conference. Our church thinks you're the greatest. Our church thinks you're the greatest, and you have blessed us so tremendously. Thank you to the brethren who have extended to me the invitation and the honor to participate in this convention and speak in this service tonight. And a special thank you to my good friend, a man of God, Anthony Mankin. I'm reading tonight from the book of Nehemiah. Nehemiah chapter number six. I will read two verses of scripture, verse 15 and then verse 16. Nehemiah chapter six, verse number 15. So the wall was finished in the 20 and fifth day of the month of Elul. In 50 and two days, the wall was finished. In 50 and two days. And it came to pass that when all our enemies heard thereof, and all the heathen that were about us saw these things, they were much cast down in their own eyes, for they perceived. I said, they perceived that this work 
was wrought of our God. Allow me to read that verse one more time, and I want you to notice it closely. And it came to pass that when all our enemies heard thereof, and all the heathen that were about us saw these things, what things? That the wall had been built in 52 days. When the enemy saw it, they were perceptive enough to understand that this work was wrought of our God. Now, I gave my subject title ahead of time tonight, and, and uh, you have my permission to go ahead and use that subject that I gave you. I gave it in the form of a statement, how the wall was built. Everybody say that. How the wall was built. But I think after hearing Brother Williams preach tonight, I want to change it to a question. How was the wall built? Does anybody have the answer? Does anybody shout the answer? How was the wall built? How are we going to have apostolic revival? How's this world going to receive this glorious New Testament message? Would you clap your hands and give the Lord praise tonight because he's already doing a mighty and a glorious work in this house. Come on, I need somebody to really praise him. Gonna take my badge off. Hallelujah! Ma! Praise God, praise God, praise God. You may be seated. You may think me a wistful dreamer tonight, but at the onset of this message, I... I want to give you a declaration of faith, and I hope there is a substantial affirmation from this great congregation tonight. I believe we can have apostolic revival. I believe we can have apostolic New Testament revival. Jerusalem-like revival. Somebody say we can. Somebody that believes it shout, we can. I believe we can have Ephesus-like revival. Somebody say we can. Somebody shout it with everything that's in you. Clap your hands to the Lord if you believe it. Maybe while and probably since our superintendent came to this pulpit this day and shared with us glimpses of his vision of apostolic revival. Maybe then and since then there has been somebody who has entertained, entertained thoughts and maybe verbalized those thoughts to somebody. I don't know if it can really happen that way. I don't know if that's really 
what God has in mind. I don't see how that could really happen. Before I go any further tonight, I want it to be established clearly in our minds. I want our faith to seize hold on it. We can, we can have apostolic revival. I declare it in the face of all opposition. I declare it in the face of every doubter. I declare it in the face of every opposing, lying spirit. I say with the authority of the Holy Ghost and the promise of God's infallible word, we can have apostolic revival. Yes, we can. Yes, we can. Yes, we can turn our cities upside down. Yes, we can shake this world with the power of this glorious truth. Somebody clap your hands to the Lord. Praise God. The book of Nehemiah opens with Nehemiah in the land of his captivity. He is an officer in the palace of the king. There he entertains guests from Jerusalem, guests who have just come back from their visit, seeing what God was doing in the city of Jerusalem. They came back with a good report and yet an incomplete report. They came telling of the restoration of the temple and the restoration of worship in the temple. You see, Ezra had just previously gone back with a remnant of Jews. He had rebuilt the, the temple and reestablished worship in the temple. That was a glorious victory. And yet they shared with Nehemiah that the walls of Jerusalem still lay in ruins. And Nehemiah was grieved by the fact that the walls had not been rebuilt. He, I'm sure, was happy for the progress that had been made. I am sure he was glad in his own heart for the rebuilding of the temple and the reestablishing of worship in Jerusalem. But he was grieved because the walls of Jerusalem had not been rebuilt and the gates lay in ruins. That may seem to be insignificant to some, but thank God tonight for a man who understood the place and the value of the walls of the city. He did not see nor perceive the walls of Jerusalem to be something to imprison people, but he understood that the walls of Jerusalem should be rebuilt to protect it from the invading and the harmful influences that were on the outside. Apostolic preachers in this end time need a revelation of the value of the walls. We need to understand there need to be some restrictions against the encroachment of the world. The world was never intended to be at home in the church. 
I said it's the responsibility of an apostolic pastor to make sure that there are walls around the church not to imprison the people and not to restrict those from coming in that we wish to be there and who desire to be there. But I'm telling you tonight, the world has no place in the church. The world cannot cohabitate with the church and the church cannot cohabitate with this world. We need to value the walls, the restrictions, the traditions that have been given to us that prevent the encroachment of the world in the church. And somebody shout amen. amen. Nehemiah recognized the value of the walls. And so with a burdened heart, he approached the king and he sought permission to return to Jerusalem for the express purpose of rebuilding the walls of that city. The king gave him that permission and he did travel back to Jerusalem with his remnant and with his entourage. They went there for one reason. They went there for the express purpose to rebuild the walls. And our text tonight gives us a summary of the work of Nehemiah and the people who labored with him. It's said that in 50 and two days, they rebuilt the walls of Jerusalem. In 50 and two days, they rebuilt the walls of Jerusalem. Now, Brother Treadway, that is a phenomenal accomplishment. When I, when I read that, something, something about it staggers my mind. It's, it's amazing, it's absolutely staggering that in 52 days they rebuilt the walls of Jerusalem which in total length were several miles long. The walls were several meters high, maybe 50, 60 feet high. They didn't have modern equipment. They could not go down to the rental yard and rent a crane. They couldn't uh, go down to the rental car, uh, 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 place and rent a forklift and say, lift this stone into place. But some historians and scholars believe that, that some of those boulders that were at the very top of the wall weighed several tons. And they searched for explanations. They searched for for ways that it could have been done. They try to figure out how that it happened. How did they get those boulders into their place? How did they get this job done in 50 and two days? I've been working two years on our building program. Above and beyond the price of the property, we have spent a million and a half dollars. I've got another million to spend before I can turn over one shovel full of dirt. Before we can dig one trench. Some of you who have been in building programs 
are amazed along with me when you read this passage of scripture and, and understand that in 52 days they carried off and, and, and accomplished this amazing task. When we look at it, the natural question that comes to our minds is how in the world did they accomplish it? How did they do it? How did they get such a great job done in such a short amount of time? When I read this passage of scripture and noted it, I began to study the book of Nehemiah and study about the accomplishment of the people of God, trying to figure out how it was that they got it done. Uh, there were several things that I noted that, uh, that were true of, of these people as they went about this great task. I noted that there were a people who had a passion for accomplishment. Did you hear me tonight? I said there were a people that had a passion for accomplishment. It wasn't enough to do nothing. It wasn't enough, enough to get just a little bit done. It wasn't enough just to mark time. But there was something that burned in the hearts of God's people during this season in their history. We have got to get the job done. We have got to get the job accomplished. There was a passion in their heart for accomplishment. I preach to this great congregation tonight. We'll never get started. We'll never get to first base. We'll never get the ball rolling. We'll never move towards the, uh, the desired objective until, first of all, there is a red-hot, burning, unquenchable desire in our heart to get the job done for God. If you believe that, clap your hands to the Lord. They were a people who had a passion for accomplishment. And as I study further about these people that rebuilt the wall under the leadership of Nehemiah, I understand they were a people of unity. There were no feuds. They were not fussing and contending. They were, they were not dealing with strife. There was a spirit of unity that was amongst these people as they went about the task that God had commissioned them to. Can I preach to you tonight? We're never going to get the job done until there is an overwhelming spirit of unity that prevails, prevails amongst us. There has to be a oneness of heart and a oneness of spirit that says we have got to work together to get this job accomplished shoulder to shoulder, heart to heart. We've got to stand on the front lines of the battle together. There was a passion for accomplishment. There was a spirit of unity that prevailed amongst the people. There was an attitude of consistency. They were not hit and miss. They were not up and down. They were not in and out. They were not here today and gone tomorrow. But this was a bunch of people you could count on. They were there to get the job done. 
They were there to give it their best. They were there to do everything they could do. They had their shoulder to the wheel every day. They got up every morning and went to their task without complaint, without hesitancy. Nehemiah could count on the bunch of people God had given him to work with. We're going to get this job done. We must have a passion for accomplishment. And everybody shout amen. amen. If we're going to get this job done, we've got to have a spirit of unity. And everybody shout amen. amen. If we're going to have this revival that God intends us to have, we're going to have to be consistent about it. Not just when we're at the cause of the times. Not just be gung-ho when we're at because of the times or some convention where our spirits have been stirred. But every day we get up with a fresh determination and a new zeal. I'm going to be in my place. I'm going to be giving God my best. I'm going to do everything I can. Spirit of consistency. Attitude of consistency. Also, these people understood the value of order. They understood the value of order. I appreciate so much the way things are done around Alexandria. Things are done decently and in order. They have understood and have gotten a revelation of the value of order. Everybody in their place. Everybody doing their job. Everybody fulfilling their role. Everybody accomplishing their responsibility. There's a power. There's a power in order. Amen. And so it was with Nehemiah's crew. Everybody was in their place. Everybody every day was doing what they're supposed to do. They weren't saying to the other fellow, you're not doing your job like you ought to be doing it. They had their mind and their focus on their job, and they were doing it the best that they could. Amen. We are not going to have the kind of revival God wants us to have without a revelation and appreciation of order in the church. We have different gifts and we have different ministries and we have different roles and we have different responsibilities, but God let it be so that every one of us finds our place, every one of us gives it our best, everybody does what they have been assigned by the Spirit to do, and let's get this job done for Jesus before he comes back. Amen. And so, as I looked into this book, this very interesting story uh, of the record of the rebuilding of the walls of Jerusalem, I find that the people had a passion for accomplishment. They had a spirit of unity. They had an attitude of consistency. And they had a revelation of order. And yet, after the job was done, the heathen did look on and say, My, what passion those people had. When the walls were finally in their place, when the job was finally accomplished, when this, this pro 
famine, God's overall scheme had been achieved. When it was done, the heathen didn't look on and say, my, those are the most unified people I've ever seen in all of my life. And I believe we must have a passion for accomplishment. And I believe we must have a spirit of unity. But when the job was all done, the heathen didn't look on and say, my, what a faithful and consistent people they are. They didn't look on and say, what organization and order they have. They didn't give the credit to anything God's people did. But they looked on and their eyes were cast down and they said, surely, surely this was done by God. Come on, folks, I need you to help me tonight. I've come to preach to you. God did it. God did it. I said, God did it. God did it. Come on, turn around to somebody and look them in the eye and say, God did it. God. Amen. It wasn't anything that could be credited to the people. It wasn't anything that had come from their minds or their talents. It was not their ingenuity. But the heathen were wise enough to recognize the only way this kind of thing could be accomplished in the short amount of time it was accomplished in was that God did it. Praise God. Amen. Now, I don't discredit any of the things that I have mentioned previously, but these things only facilitated the work of God. They only facilitated the work of the Spirit. The bottom line is God did it. I don't understand why we have such resistance to that. I don't understand why we have a problem with that. But you go to preaching about what I'm talking about right now, and there is a certain amount of resistance. I am not sure whether it's altogether human or if it's spiritual, but there is resistance to what I'm talking about right now because if God's people ever get a revelation of what the preachers already talked to us about tonight, if we ever understand fully, it's not by might and it's not by power, but it's by my spirit, saith the Lord of hosts, we will turn our world upside down. Let me show you how we think so often. We think like this. Nehemiah, I am amazed at what you got done. I am amazed that in 52 days this wall could be built. I want to talk to you about that. I want you to give me some explanations. I want to know when you mix the mortar, did you mix it thick? Or did you mix it thin? 
to know, Nehemiah, when you took your trial and you spread it on the wall, did you pull it up or did you pull it down? I want you to explain to me about the mortar because you see, if anybody can build a wall in 52 days like that, it must be something that you did miraculously and, 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 and magically in the mortar. There's, there's something about the way you held your trial. Listen, Pentecostals, uh, listen, apostolics, uh, even the heathen could look on and say it wasn't something the people did. Uh, it was God that did it. Come on, somebody shout, God did it. Come on, somebody shout, God did it. Clap your hands and entertain the mighty presence of the Holy Ghost that's in this place tonight. Before you're seated, shake somebody's hand and say, God did it. Come on, I want you to say with more faith and enthusiasm and conviction. God did it. 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 Hallelujah. 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 Choirs practice, sing as good as you can sing. Get it together, dial it in. Work on your church organization. Get your planning together. Make your operation something you're proud of. But friend, when you get right down to it, if you're going to have apostolic revival, if we're going to shape this world, God's got to do it. And if there's anything God's wanted us to march out of here with a revelation about it, it's that. God's going to do it. God's going to do it. God's the one bringing the revival to your city and your church. The Holy Ghost is going to transform your church. The Holy Ghost is going to set you afire and make you aflame. God's going to do it. may be seated it came to pass that when all our enemies heard thereof and all the heathen that were about us saw these things they were much cast down in their own eyes I like this part when they saw that it was not human ingenuity when they saw that it was not a work of man. It said they were cast down in their own eyes. The enemy said, oh no. Oh no. They got God involved in this. They stacked the deck. They got God involved in what they're doing. Can I preach to you a little while tonight? 
I'm telling you, if the devil can be discouraged, he would get discouraged by a bunch of apostolics understanding that heaven sent revival. It's just that. It comes from God. If the devil could be discouraged, it would be a whole bunch of pastors marching out of this place and going home with a determination in their heart. Whatever it takes, whatever price I have to pay, whatever changes I have to make, whatever I have to do, I'm going to get God in on what I'm doing. I say we here and because of the times uh, ought to discourage the devil when we go home. Well, to call some prayer meetings and call some, some Holy Ghost services, call some special seasons and times in our churches where our sole purpose is to entertain the presence of God, to hear from God, to be in touch with God, to bring, lay aside our programs for a while, lay aside our choir practices for a while, lay aside our planning for a little while, and let's make sure that we have got Holy Ghost direction. Let's make sure we're hearing the voice of God. Let's make sure the anointing of the Holy Ghost is on what we're trying to get done. have a worldwide revival how can we apostolic people we insignificant people we people without without huge sums of money we people without great educations uh, predominantly amongst us we whom the world has not recognized and has not given a whole lot of credence to how can it be that we can in reality and we can without question become a force and a power for all of the world to continue. How can it happen? God can do it. Amen. Amen. There's a resistance to that. It's discouraging to the enemy, and it's kind of hard for us to accept. But if I was the devil, it hasn't been often, thank the Lord, Brother Tenney, but I've had a couple of people think I was. If I was the devil, Brother Anthony, I try to get every apostolic pastor in this place to carry on the work of God in his own strength. I try to get him to absolutely exhaust himself, wear himself out to the point of despair and discouragement. Try to get the job done with his own hands. I'd do everything I could if I was the devil to keep you from getting out of this place believing that God is ready and willing and anxious to step in on what you're trying to get done in the kingdom of God. Praise God. 
One way I'd try to do that is make you skeptical of the supernatural. Ooh. I felt a little something right there. I said, if I was the devil, I'd try to get you to be skeptical of the supernatural. Amen. Every time there is a tongues and interpretation, I try to get you to analyze it, judge it more than is necessary, scrutinize it, inspect the grammar of the translation and interpretation. Say the message was long and the interpretation was short. I try to put questions in your mind. I try to get you to think they surely didn't really get healed. Or bringing that preacher here tonight must have been some kind of setup. Surely, surely I didn't just see a miracle where 1,500 people potentially will be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ for the remission. There must be something wrong here. That was manipulated. Man is a manipulator. That couldn't just, oh, come on, friend. I'm telling you, God did it. It wasn't planned. It wasn't orchestrated. Anthony Megan's brilliant, but he couldn't plan that. I'm telling you, God did it. If you believe that, I want you to clap your hands and tell him a devil in hell how much you do believe that. God did it. God did it. church is going to triple. That's how your city is going to be shaken. Hallelujah. Tell somebody again, God did it. You may be seated. The apostle Paul warned the Galatians about it in regards to their living for God, their personal relationship and walk with God. He said, how could you be so foolish? He said, who hath bewitched you? Who put that hoax on you? Who, who put that curse on you? Who made you start thinking that way? You started in the spirit. You started out talking in a language no one had ever talk, taught you before. If that wasn't a miracle, friend, what is a miracle? Why then did he stop doing the miraculous when he baptized you with the Holy Ghost and gave you a language to praise him with you had never spoken before in all of your life? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. My God, I feel the Holy Ghost in this place. I feel unction and authority and anointing in this pulpit tonight. I'm going to preach till I preach something awesome, people, tonight. There is some doubt. 
there is some... There's some fear, there's some criticism. There's some negativism that some folks have brought in here tonight. Maybe you didn't intend to bring it, but it's baggage that came along with you. The Holy Ghost wants to set you free tonight. It wants you to be cut free from that. Walk out of this place believing God wants to help me have revival. God wants to cause me to reach my city. God wants to anoint me to get the job done. As impossible as it seems to be. See, you can be seated. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. When he created the earth, he created natural laws. When he created the heavens, he created heavenly laws, spiritual laws. Natural laws can never preempt spiritual laws. Natural law can never take authority over heavenly law. But heavenly law can take authority over natural laws. That's why you can have cancer. And you can be, you can be sentenced to die. And it can be a hopeless situation. And the man of God steps in the room and anoints with, with oil and prays the prayer of faith. And that spiritual law preempts or supersedes the natural law. And the spiritual law says, you're not going to die, but you're going to live. Natural laws have what we call impossibilities. Natural laws can only take you so far. You can learn them. You can master the usage of natural laws and do some pretty impressive things. You can even build a fairly large following using nothing more than natural laws. You can build a fairly large congregation, if you please, using nothing more than natural laws. You can get pretty good at using natural laws and you don't even have to be Holy Ghost filled. You don't even have to understand the spiritual laws. Just operate in the realm of nature. Some pretty impressive things can happen using and utilizing the laws of nature. Take for granted flying an airplane. That's a, that's a phenomenal thing, you know. Elder man. But God doesn't fly that airplane, not literally. He has instituted natural laws at creation that when you learn to master them and control them, you can cause the airplane to leave the earth and ascend into the heavens and travel at 600 miles an hour and get you to a, a, a destination a long ways away in a short amount of time. That's amazing. Somebody say, that's amazing. It's all natural laws. When I got on the airplane to come to St. Louis and then from St. Louis to Alexandria, I did not stop by the cockpit. 
and speak to the pilot and say, sir, this was before we took off. The door was still open. It was an open door. But I didn't stop by and, and talk to the pilot and say, sir, did you talk in tongues today? are you are you baptized in Jesus name if I would have had a chance to talk to him I probably would have said something more like this uh, how long have you been flying are you new at this I wasn't really concerned at that point I, I love his soul but at that particular moment, I was more concerned about his understanding of natural laws. Because I knew if he understood the natural laws that caused that great big airplane to get up in the sky, everything was going to be all right. As amazing as it was, I knew he could accomplish that using merely natural laws. And there's a whole lot of things we can get done that are impressive to all of us using nothing more than natural laws. But let me tell you, if you build a church using only natural laws, number one, the devil's happy. Are you folks still here with me tonight? I said the devil would be happy because he can stop it. He can get in the middle of your playhouse and tear it up. And secondly, if you use natural laws only, if you lean on the laws of nature, you're going to find out that there are ceilings on how far you can go and how much you can get done. But I tell you tonight, if we can be an apostolic church, a church that's led by the Spirit, a church that's empowered by the Holy Ghost. A church that's anointed by God. The devil can never stop us. And Elder Tilly, there is no limit. There is no limit. There is no limit on what can be done. You folks didn't hear me. You don't understand what I'm telling you. There's no ceiling on it if God does it. There's no limit on it if God does it. Somebody that believes that, stand to your feet and clap your hands and shout aloud. We need to do it some more. I need that wild choir to help me. I need a little bit more monitor. We're fixing to have church around here. I said, we're about to have church around. We're about to tear some of the devil's kingdom down. We're about to tear some of the strongholds of Satan down. Faith is about to be infused into this congregation. Some men are about to be changed by the power of the Holy Ghost tonight. Some women are going to be set on fire by the power of the Spirit. 
Hallelujah. How are we going to have this apostolic revival? God's going to do it. How are we going to have this world-changing revival? God's going to do it. How are we going to turn our cities upside down? God's going to do it. How are we going to shake this world? God's going to do it. You can be seated in the New Testament church. There was, there was a different philosophy, a different teaching, a different perception of the purpose of the Holy Ghost baptism than there is for many of us. Jesus taught about it differently than we teach about it. We teach that you've got to have it. And I believe that. But you've got to have it for more than just to be born again. You've got to have this Holy Ghost because it'll tell you what to do, when to do, how to do. You didn't hear what I said, Pastor. I said this Holy Ghost is more than just something to get you out of this world. This Holy Ghost is divine wisdom and understanding. This Holy Ghost brings anointed into my life. This Holy Ghost I got when I was 11 years old is the thing that tells me when to buy property and when to sell property. What to do in my church and what not to do it. When to do it, when not to do it. What to say and what not to say. I'm telling you, the Holy Ghost. I tell somebody tonight, the Holy Ghost was the fuel of the New Testament church. It's the thing that caused the New Testament church to operate. It's the thing that caused it to be victorious. It's the thing that caused it to shake the world. Brother Mangan was up here, Brother Anthony Mangan, last night and he was preaching. And he said, and they were profound words. It seemed so simple that it probably went right on past so many of us. But he said, I'm telling you, God will show you what to do in your church. He said it this way, there's a key for your church and for your city. He said, God will give you a key for your church and your city. It may not be the same key that Alexandria has used. That's why you don't need to mimic everything Alexandria does. I know you come here and you want to go home and be just like them. I do too. I mean, it's inspiring, it's exciting, but I'm telling you, there's a key for your city and there's a key for your church. And you can't get it reading a book and you can't get it listening in seminars. God's gonna put it in your heart. The Holy Ghost brings it to your attention. The Spirit of the Lord will show you God will do it. God has your answer. I feel, I feel a prophetic anointing right now. God has your answer. God has your answer. The devil thinks he's got you back down in a corner. He thinks he's got you cowered down into a helpless and a hopeless position. He thinks that you are, are defenseless and will never do anything for God. But you stop by because of the times. And the word of the Lord has come forth. And the spirit of God is talking to your heart. And God's saying to you right now, I have your answer. I know what to do. 
I know how to do. I know when to do. I've got the key to your city. I evangelized for a number of years. And as a full-time evangelist, when I first started, I, I, I didn't understand, but it didn't take me long to catch on. But there was always seemingly someone, the devil had assigned in every church, whose responsibility was to let the evangelist know not to expect too much here. And in very flowing and eloquent terms, give a brilliant dissertation as to the unique difficulties of that particular city and locale. Oh, hallelujah. I feel like I got my hand on a devil's throat. <laughs> and one would say, this is a retirement community. Oh, I'm sorry, I won't push so hard. And another would say, this is a tourist town. And another would say, this is a college community. And another would say, everybody's a Christian here. And I'd go from city to city. You know what I'm talking about, Brother Huntley. And everywhere there was somebody the devil had a sign to explain to you why you couldn't have a real apostolic revival in that city. And excuse me if I'm misinformed. Leave me in my ignorance. I have come to believe that God has a key for every situation. God has an answer for every situation. And God's got a revival for every city. And there's not a church represented in this building tonight that God can't send a revival to. Come on, clap your hands. Let's generate some faith in this place. I said God can do it. God can do it when you're out of answers. God can do it when you don't have another thing to try. God can do it when you don't know what to do. God can do it when you're discouraged. God can do it when you've run out of things. God can do it. 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 Amen. You may be seated. I will not be much longer. While the Holy Ghost was moving after Brother Anthony Mangan had preached last night, Elder G.A. Mangan came over to me and he said something that I had heard him say a hundred times before. I think I had. But he said it again. You know, he just got a way of keeping on saying it until you stop and listen to it. And I thought, I've heard him say that over and over again. I think I'll probe a little bit more and see if he's just saying it or if he knows what he's saying. He said, I'll tell you what's going to happen. I'll tell you what's happening. 
He said, we're going to have, and we are having, a sovereign move of God. Say it. Yes. And it's going to keep it going. If you're going to have revival, it's going to have to be a sovereign move of God. I shook my head and I looked at him. I said, yes, okay. Tell me some more. He said, I've been praying. He said, I've been praying that God would let me up in his drawing room. You thought, you think the other was a parable. That was even more of a parable to me. He said, I've been praying. And I looked in his eyes and I could tell he meant it. And, and there was meaning behind it. Yeah, I, I went up in God's drawing room. Did you hear him? He made the sun, the moon, the stars. He made the world. If he did all that, created bugs and elephants and birds and everything. If he did that, I want to go to the drawing room and get some new creative ideas how to perform miracles like he's talking about for revival. If God can draw a whale and design a whale to swallow Jonah and spit him out, if God can make a world, if God can hang a moon, the sun, and the stars, God's got a plan for us to have apostolic revival. We need to lay some of our commentaries aside. We need to get our nose out of some of our books. And we need to get plugged into the Holy Ghost and climb up in the drawing room with God and say, God, show me your plan for my city. Show me your plan for this world. Show me how you want to do it. Come on, clap your hands, entertain the mighty presence of God that's in this house. Don't tell me it can't happen. Don't tell me God can't do it. Don't tell me God can't do it. Ten thousand churches in a decade. Thousand new daughter works in one year. Sixty-four thousand baptized in the name of Jesus Christ before Easter, just by the pastors represented and ministers represented in the in the service today. And a thousand devils are saying, 
You can't do it. It can't happen. It can't be done. It's not going to happen. I said we can. We can. We can. We can. We can. We can have apostolic revival. Come on, speak your faith to somebody right now. Tell it to somebody. We can. We can. We can. Come on, drive all doubt out of here. Come on, let's drive the doubt out of here. Exercise your faith a little bit. Let the Holy Ghost get on you. Let the Spirit of God put something in your mind. We can. We can. We can. We can. Yes, we can. Yes, we can. Hallelujah, Jesus. Don't sit down. Just if you stand up and help me finish here. The acumen of the Holy Ghost is so astounding to me. God's so smart. Arnold said, God's so smart, he don't need no help. It's another message I might preach to you someday. But the only reason we're here is because he loves us. He could do it better without us. He just loves us enough to let us get to in on what he's doing. It's not a matter of whether God can, whether we can do it or not. The, 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 the thing that matters is God can do it. We have outreach programs. We're going to keep on having them. But I'm telling you, there's nothing like being led of the Spirit. One man knew what street to go down. He knew by the Spirit what house to go to. By the Holy Ghost, he knew who the man's name was. And by... The leadership of the Spirit, the same Holy Ghost that's living on the inside of you. He knew what to tell him when he found him. He didn't have to knock a hundred doors. They didn't have to canvas a block. But one man went to one house, knocked on one door, and talked to one man. And the whole Gentile world received the gospel. I said, God did it. I said, God did it. And he can do it in your city. He can do it in your church. He can do it in your life. <laughs> he didn't just 
stagger out there on the side of that road where that Ethiopian man was passing by. He didn't get there just stumbling along. God put Philip there. And maybe, maybe what we are seeing happen in Ethiopia, the greatest revival the world has ever seen, is a consequence of one man who is in the right place at the right time because the Holy Ghost put him there. One man in the right place at the right time led of the Holy Ghost and the greatest revival the world has ever seen is a direct consequence. Somebody ought to be shouting. Somebody the devil's been lying to. Somebody to whom the enemy has said, you can't do it because of your limited abilities. You can't do it because you don't have a Pentecostal pedigree. You can't do it because you didn't get to go to Bible college. You can't do it because you don't have a real good command of the King's English. You can't do it because you nor your wife can sing and play the instruments. You can't do it because nobody in your church has got any money. But I'm telling you, God, 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 God can do it. city using modern contemporary means of building a church but you can have a Holy Ghost revival When you get out of this place and the enemy starts in on you again, would you send that devil to me? It's not that I don't have enough already to deal with, but that's one I already know on a personal basis. And I know what to tell him. Brother Smelser, I tell him I know I'm a nothing and a nobody. When our, our general superintendent stood here this afternoon and began to tell us about his feelings of inabilities, don't mistake that for a lack of faith. I said, don't mistake that for a lack of faith. Some of you were surprised that Kenneth Haney would have such feelings about himself because we carry those feelings around with us all the time. But you were hearing a man that learned the proper response to that kind of attack of the enemy. You're right, devil. I'm a nothing. You're right, devil. I don't know how to go in and come out. You, you're right, devil. I don't know what to say half the time. You're right. I, I don't think my preaching's pretty and good. And I... You're right. I, it seems like I fumble the ball and make mistakes. And 
You're right, you're right, you're right, devil. But let me just clue you in, Mr. Devil. This revival is not predicated on what I can do. Whether or not I have this revival doesn't depend on what I know. Whether or not this revival happens is not dependent on what we have. Let me tell you what's about to happen in this old world. This old world is about to see a movement of people be plunged to the forefront of society and the affairs of mankind that it is somewhat unacquainted with. These people talk funny. These people dress differently. These people seem to have their own subculture. They are not like the rest of so-called Christianity. They have a unique doctrine. But this world's about to wake up and take notice. They're building the largest churches in their cities. Their organization, if we can call it that, is thriving and growing when others are dying. say what are they doing they're going to study us they're going to send newspaper reporters and media out to our services and meetings other people are going to mimic us they're going to try to sing songs like us and dance like us and clap like us they're going to start running the aisles like us and before long, some of them are going to be us. If you believe what I'm telling you, I want you to take it in faith right now in the name of Jesus. Clap your hands. Praise God. Let the Spirit of the Lord move him into this place. Let the Holy Ghost come upon you. Let God birth something in you. Let enlightenment come to your mind. Let revival be transfused into your spirit. Come on, church. Come on, let's receive the word. I wish there was a pastor that would turn to another pastor somewhere in this building and speak your faith to him right now. Tell him the kind of revival you believe God is going to help you have. Come on, my brother, my sister. Speak your faith to somebody. Speak your faith to somebody. Speak your faith. Tell somebody. Tell somebody else.
two or three witnesses. Have two or three witnesses of what you're saying right now. Come on, tell them. Tell them. Tell them. Do it. God's going to 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 do it. 